Okay, welcome everybody to a new, uh, to another episode of Northwest Five Podcast. I've got in the studio with me today. I've got all on Zoom nowadays, should we say? I've got John Cleary, my co-host. Hello. And I've got Louis Giorgio from uh, Code Computer Love. Hello. So um, yeah, we've got the pleasure in having Louis on. Uh, we're not related, by the way. Is that Giorgio and Louis Giorgio? We just 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 got just the same date. Yeah, randomly. I have known Lou for a really, really long time. I'm really excited to have you on the show today and to tell us more about uh, all things tech, Manchester in the Northwest and Code in particular, probably one of the earliest agencies out there in, in, in Manchester at the time. So I think, first of all, Lou, I'd really like to find out a little bit more about your journey, right? Code, what happened, how it ended up happening. So over to you. Um, well, it started for me, it was at, uh, yeah, going way back for me, it was at university. I didn't really have an interest in tech at all until I went to university. And the actual course that I did was actually, it was quite broad. It was interactive and broadcast media, um, So, which I wasn't quite sure what it would entail, but it sounded really cool. So I thought I'd give it a go. Um, and that actually got me, yeah, and I'm glad I did, it worked out well. <laughs> but that, that got me, during the summers of that, doing internships at BT at the research labs in Ipswich. And, uh, and that's where actually, yeah, you know, my mind was blown with loads and loads of cool stuff that they were doing there. So, yeah, so it was really from that, for me, it was definitely, I was going to definitely have a career in, in tech. Uh, and then when I graduated, I worked at um, a place in Manchester that was called Mainstream. They then became with and then became WRG. So I don't know, you might, you might have heard of them. They became quite a big uh, full service agency. But when we first started, there was me and two other guys. We were the multimedia team, as it, as it was referred to then. And we worked together for a year. And the two chaps that I worked with there, yeah, we just had like an immediate connection. We just had the same attitude, the same view of things, the same kind of real... Uh, real kind of drive for, for kind of quality and innovation and so yeah it was a year after working together that we thought we'd set code up so uh, so that was at that point um yeah so it was really really early on in my career that was 1999 and and we just thought yeah what the hell we thought you know what we're young and stupid enough if it doesn't work there's nothing lost <laughs> <laughs> obviously it has worked it's like a powerhouse in manchester for you know a really big brand name certainly certainly in the region and probably much further as well can i ask i've always been curious and now that i've got you on a call i can ask where did the name come from how did you pick it yeah well so uh, so it's one of those things when yeah you start up it's like, oh, what, what do we call ourselves and we came up with all sorts of weird and wonderful names and uh, we 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 landed on code very early on and that the, the name code came from one of my partners winnie I think he, he had an old car stereo that you used to have to pull in and out of your car, if you remember. And uh, and he said he was one day when he was coming into work, we hadn't named ourselves and he stuck it in and it asked, for, you know, it's one of those, he asked for a key code. And he said, it was just the way that code was written on. He said, look, dead cool. So he said, let's go with code. Uh, so that's where code came from. And being like the late 90s, every kind of interactive or digital agency seems to tag on interactive to its name. So we were actually called Code Interactive for a while. Mm -hmm. And then about a year or two in, we kind of thought that was a little bit dry. And we'd started using, using the phrase computer love as almost like a descriptor of kind of our culture and attitude. So we're using computer love all the time. So we thought, sod it, we'll, we'll ditch this interactive and we'll attach that to the name. So we just randomly bolted the two together, code computer love. We felt it was a, yeah, it was a nice description of kind of, yeah, I suppose our, our outlook and things. And so, and that was it, not look back. 
Really nice. Yeah, really nice story. And do you guys, do you go by the name Code? Because I've heard people just describe you as, oh, I work for Code or have you seen Code's offices? Is that yeah is that mnemonic I, you kind of handle you recognize? Yeah, I think because Code Computer Love becomes a bit of a mouthful. And so, yeah, people just, just abbreviate it to Code, which is fine. It's really funny. I'm, I'm laughing to myself because I'm thinking about the car stereo scenario because it was before mobile phones were around. And if you remember, it started off, you used to pull it out, didn't you? It was a big, big dobbing thing. And then later on, you had just a screen that you used to take off, didn't you? And you used to walk in the pub, didn't you? And put the panel down by the side. So it wasn't a mobile phone. It was this this car stereo panel and you thought you were really cool well I they came know. in a case too didn't they you could <laughs> yeah. get a case for them yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that was the cool portable tech back then wasn't it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> stereo face panel <laughs> and with my ford escort <laughs> <laughs> so and tell me a bit more about then the, the sort of journey of the business because it's you know you've been in the in the region and and uh, you know a big name for quite a long time but i would imagine it's been ups and downs along the way. Has it been a challenging journey? You know, have you had any major hurdles to overcome? Yeah, well, you know, there's definitely been. The thing I always say, like, I, I do talks at schools and uh, and the, uh, you know, and they always say to you, can you talk about why it's great to have a career in, in your industry? And it's, and it's been great because, oh my God, what a rush the last 20 years has been. And think of like all the, from a technology point of view, all the change and all the innovation, all the new things that, that, that have uh, you know that, that have come up that you kind of have to stay on top of. But when we first started, we, we probably would refer to ourselves as a CD-ROM company because because uh, we we kind of turned our nose up at the web because in in like the late nineties the web didn't look so cool. You know, you had like tiny graphics and you know and there was a lot of HTML wasn't very glamorous. You know, we like doing like really beautifully interactive audio visual experiences. But literally within a year of us starting, you know, all our work switched from being ninety percent CD-ROM, ten percent web to like the other way. And then the year after that, there was zero CD-ROM or DVD and not, none of that, and it was just all purely web. So, so we pivoted probably within a year to becoming like a you know a, a web business really, um, and that's uh, that, that's probably just in line with like you know like the boom around two thousand. Like you know, if you remember all like the whole dot com boom and all that stuff going on. But we've probably um, in truth, when we look at it, we've, we've plotted it before. We've had quite steady growth, to be honest. And the thing was, we, we avoided loads any crazy stuff going on. So, like, you know, with the whole dot-com bubble, there's lots of people, lots of crazy VC money floating around. And we were just really early on. Uh, we had lots of great relationships with a lot of advertising agencies, in truth. And we were often kind of brought in as, like, the digital specialists. And, you know, we were working with big, big leading brands and businesses like Blue Chips from day one. So it was always like legitimate, uh, serious online things we were building. There was never kind of, uh, we never really got involved in, in, in any kind of uh, crazy VC type stuff. Uh, maybe we should have done, maybe we could have made our billions had we have done that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but we you know we quite early on just built up a good reputation around, for us back then, it was like the marrying of like design and technology was kind of, I suppose, our thing. This was kind of before UX was even a known thing thing we were kind of doing ux without it being known and then as things went on like social came out and that kind of changed and then web 2.0 and that being a thing so the kind of perception of uh, you know what what people do online started to change and the, the things we'd build moved from being 
I guess, interactive experience based or kind of brochureware type stuff to being more transactional. And then when mobile came along, you know, that was another massive shift. There was a hope when accessibility became kind of a big consideration as well. That massively shifted how we built stuff as well. And we've been, been building stuff more responsive and all that. So it's been loads of change, really. So it's ha- it sounds like you pivoted. Well, you said your stuff, you pivoted, you know, from CD-ROMs into like, you know, the hate, but it's actually, if you think about it, you've been pivoting the whole time. Like there's never been, I mean, maybe that's the joy of the digital sector. You know, I think we were talking about this on a, on a previous podcast. We're trying to excite, and I'm glad you mentioned that you go and speak at schools because I think that's so important. We, you know, we're, we're trying to create our region as this powerhouse, um, especially in the digital area. And the only way really to do that is to enthuse the next generation, which is, is when you, what you're doing. I guess, how do you go about that? What's, do, you, do you just just walk in and say, hey, tech jobs are cool? Or, you know, what's, or are you getting invited in? Do you, do you send other team members in as well? Yeah, there's always, you know, there's always been a, a, a mix. There's, um, like a, we, we have quite a few relationships with uh, there's some, of the, uh, some of the bodies that kind of run career stuff for, for several schools. So we're involved on a few of those. So we get invited in to talk at a few like schools and colleges. We've always had quite a few relationships, particularly locally at, like with the universities as well. We've got a partnership with Innovate Her. And if you've ever come across Innovate yeah. Her, yeah, which is great. And so through that, we've got a strong connection to uh, one of the local schools as well. So, yeah, so we, yeah, in truth, we've got our fingers in like loads of pies, really. And, and it's always been something we've always liked to do as well. You know, we've, we've always kind of seen, um, yeah, that, that's probably a, a little bit of giving back, getting involved with schools. And we've done things where we've even like, we've ran briefs for, for some schools as well, if they've kind of got uh, like tech projects or you know, or, or digital type projects that they run as well. It's a variety of things, really. So you've been around since 1999. Um, longevity in business is, is, is amazing anyway, but 20 years in this space, you must have seen a lot of change. How much change? What's changed? Why is it so different now? Is it, is it better? Is it worse? Or is it just different? Do you know what? It, it, it's just different. It, what what was the fascinating thing in the early years was uh, you we, you felt like you really were pioneers because there wasn't you know you were doing it at the same time everybody else was doing it you know and, and I remember there was a there was like a sense of wonder when you'd see some cool new thing come out I remember there was, there was an agency called Deep End Design I'm going back now probably to '99 and they were the people that back then. They did, I think, like the the world's best like flash sites. Remember when flash was a thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Youngsters might not even know a flash these, these days. Uh, it, it's been kind of kick, kicked into uh, yeah, redundancy for years now. But but they did like the first like full screen in, in browser kind of audio visual interactive experiences that blew your mind. And then there were so many of these things. And so there was definitely yeah, it was definitely a case of. You know, as you did something that was new and you'd never seen before, it was like, you know, it was cool and exciting. It's definitely changed because that was when we think of the role that digitals had to play, that that, that kind of brand experience was a bigger thing then. But I suppose as, as, as things have evolved, it's definitely become more transactional for a lot of businesses that their, their site or their digital platforms are like the cornerstones of the business now. So it's, so it's great in that it's become front and center of a business's priorities because for some of them, it is their entire business now that their, their digital platform. So that's shifted. And I suppose with that, that's brought the need for, 
well, things like strong user centricity and user experience and, uh, and, and, and that whole attitude. And then also kind of the need for like really rock solid tech as well and kind of and, and modern engineering principles and practices. So, so it's really, really shifted but what it shifted to is equally interesting, actually. And, uh, and then at the same time, there's this kind of constant, constant iteration and kind of constant kind of micro innovation that kind of goes on as well. You know, when we look at, you know, you know just with mobile and what goes on with that and the stuff that's happening now with voice and other things. So, yeah, so, so still, still lots, lots to keep us interested. Yeah. And, you know, it's quite interesting talking to you, Lee, because obviously I come from a very similar background to yourself, obviously third generation brought over here. Well, we were we were born here, but our parents were brought over here. And, you know, they generally come from a hardworking background and going back to the longevity and business question, I tend to find that we were resilient. Do you think that background has really helped you sort of pivot and innovate? And because you will have gone through some tough times as well, I would imagine. And that resilience is there. That's one part to my question. The other part to my question is, you know, I hear a lot when there's people that are in business partnerships and one, one partner wants to go in one direction, the other wants to go in another direction. Do you think that because there was three of you as founders, that really, really helps because actually there's that dynamics of it's not butting heads. It's the three people having to come to a, you know, there's always that sort of casting vote then, isn't there, rather than one or the other. So I suppose there's the two things. The background, you think that's really helped in your resilience over the years and, and it being still such a wonderful brand and also the fact of having the three partners rather than the two. Yeah, so the background, you, do you know what? Absolutely, because actually me and my other two partners that started Code, their parents were also self-employed as well. Uh, and so so there was definitely, there was this, uh, I suppose we've grown up seeing like really, really hardworking parents and kind of ad adopted that really kind of that, that work ethic, I think, from from them. And so so absolutely in the early days. Yeah, because I think, you know, in like the first probably the first few years, you know, there was lots of sleepless nights. You know, it, it was, you know, you were a slave to the business whilst growing the business. Absolutely. And to be honest, even today, I still do that. You know, if, if I knock off at half five, I kind of feel that something's wrong. You know, and I'll, I'll, I'll find a couple of hours of extra things to do to keep myself busy because it kind of doesn't, doesn't sit right. Uh, so so we've kind of always had that. And and probably the reason for that is we, we've never really stopped as well to kind of congratulate ourselves. There's always been kind of more that we can do. We can kind of keep keep pushing on and uh and we never you know nothing's ever really really finished you know it's just just kind of working towards kind of the next evolution of something so so we've definitely got that i, th I think that that's come from our our backgrounds and upbringing for sure um and then in terms of the three of us do you know what it's it's definitely been helpful because i you know i know a lot of people that have grown businesses themselves and it's been helpful of being more than one you know be, not being alone in in growing that and so definitely having two and three people has been great we really have over the years yeah really have bounced off each other and supported each other and we've each kind of taken different facets of the business that we've looked after as well so we've kind of split some of the load and the burden as well do you know what i can honestly say we, we've not actually really in our in our 20 odd years we've never really fought you know, never fallen out we've never really been in disagreement we've stayed aligned as to what the right thing for the business has been throughout that and we'd all kind of contributed to that really where we think things are going so so it has you know and maybe we were just lucky but but definitely having uh for, for me definitely having people that were really aligned has been the best thing that's really fantastic actually yeah, that they are so aligned over such a long period of time I, 
I don't know how usual or unusual it is. But one thing I want to bring you back to is you were talking about how businesses have moved to a more transactional web presence and that their their web presence is a cornerstone of their, you know, their their business. It's like a huge part of it, like the site can't go down. Do you think have you seen an uptick in that during COVID? Is that is that been amplified, do you think at all? Yeah, well, it, I think it definitely has in terms of, um, well, particularly, uh, yeah, the, the transactional direct-to-consumer side of things. I think uh, businesses trying to, yeah, uh, trying to be less reliant on some of their kind of in-person operations and, and using, yeah, using the site or using apps or, you know, using digital stuff for, for that kind of customer interaction. Yeah, definitely through, you know, through some of our, you know, like we, we work with a, a massive car dealership and you know, one of the big projects that we've been working on, we actually started before COVID, but uh, became one of the priority projects over, over the last year uh, has been that end-to-end self-serve. So actually you can to- totally organize without ever interacting with a person, organizing a, um, a test drive, picking your car, get, getting your car valued and part exchange agreed, it, it kind of validating your uh, uh, or your payment, your uh, identity resolution, all these things totally without ever speaking to anybody. So, uh, you know, so and that's one example. And there's been lots of others. The, the one thing we've never been, we've never been an e-commerce specialist. But I do know, you know, but that part has grown for us. But I do know some of a lot of other agencies or, or e-commerce specialists, and they've particularly been absolutely booming. Because I think anyone that can transact online that hasn't been has been absolutely trying to shift shift to doing that. So I know that's been a massive growth for uh, for in COVID as well. Yeah, and and I also noticed, you know, from a recruitment perspective, you talked about the robustness of the back end tech and making sure that that's all in place. But I've also noticed, surprisingly, some business that you would never have expected to be really focused on the UX side of things or the UI side of things. You know, we've had businesses that come to me and and sort of say, "Yeah, we really want somebody on the UX UI side," and I'm like, "All right, okay." And you just wouldn't have thought that that was important to them because of what they actually do. However, it has become important to them because. Of, the point that you make there, I think everyone's pushing everything, you know, the phone calls or, or people being at the end of a line weren't there over the past 12 months in the same format. So they want to make that user experience so much better, don't they? So I, I've seen quite a bit of that as well, John, and just more importantly for me, and, and the point that Louis makes there about the e-com side, that's one aspect, but I was surprised in some of the other companies that we've worked with which were products that you'd never expect to be important like you know even pension type platforms and stuff why, why is that so important that the user experience is really good but but it is now so oh yeah it's very competitive you know financial markets are you know the financial services is incredibly competitive obviously they've got a lot of money behind them they're you know, a lot of um a lot of old tech my experience and because they were some of the first people to adopt tech so they've probably got some of the oldest tech as a result um, so yeah, but you're right. It's surprising, but and this was another one then for for you, Louise. Like, how is the I guess how has the team uh, adjusted to the new ways of working and uh, remote work? I, I'm I, you know I know you've got beautiful offices in Manchester. I've seen it. Um, I presume that's not as occupied. What how have the team coped with that? Yeah, well, it's been pretty empty for a year. The the, the office. Well, well, do you know what? They've coped. We've coped really well, and probably I think a reason for that is. 
the ways of working that, that we had just really translated to remote working really easily. So, so, so we work in uh, like multidisciplinary teams and we kind of follow you know, our, our, our version of kind of, the, of, of agile methodologies. Um, so, so when we look at kind of the things that the team do, you know, they, it was great when in the office they're all co-located and sat next to each other, but, but we use things like uh, there's, there's daily stand-ups where they connect to what they're doing. There's kind of, you know, um, fortnightly planning sessions. They have retrospectives where they talk about how they're, you know, how they're working well together and kind of improve that. They've got, they use Kanban boards for um, visualizing kind of the work and what they've got to do. And they've got that clarity and sharing of that. So all these things, actually, all we had to do was find ways to kind of do, do them remotely. And so, um, so they, they keep all the same ceremonies, everything, or the way of working's not changed at all. We just kind of do stuff like through through Teams or, um, or, or we, we use a tool called Whereby. I don't know if you've come across Whereby. And again, which is basically like an open room uh, where all the teams just drop in and out and chat. So they run their, their kind of team meetings and things there and all their diff different ceremonies. But then what they also do as well, the teams actually just leave their team their team area open and they can kind of just drop in and out throughout the day. So if they want, they can still be in there, but put it on mute or silent if they want to get their head down, but then they can just hear the background noise and background chat. So we've really closely emulated kind of being, being in an office if, you know, if they want it and they can just kind of ask people stuff. So, so we've really got that working. And then the other thing is just the way that we run workshops. So we use tools like Miro and Mural. So we've just adapted kind of to do, doing those things instead of in a physical environment to just, using kind of online tools that, that, that mirror it pretty much exactly. And like John asked that question there, for me, we, we had another client on the other day and it's fantastic that you're able to sort of adapt so quickly because it's just very, it's sort of seamless to, from a working perspective. However, we were talking with one of our other clients on this podcast and uh, they were saying about the, the environment, the culture, the missing of everyone being able to, hang about together the new people coming on board the friendships and the bonds that were always created and stuff like that is that something that you feel you know I mean I've been to your office it's a really cool office you're right in the middle of northern quarter which is now the cool place to get, be it wasn't 25 years ago but it is now <laughs> <laughs> um do you think that's something that is missed by the team and you, you know what I mean that cultural bringing everyone together oh it, de it definitely is that yeah yeah that's the thing and that's been one of the you know, you speak to every everyone that works at code. The biggest the biggest thing they love is is the culture and actually and, and the people and how we work together and come together and uh, and the even like the social aspect of it is like massively important. And all our our company wide routines that we do, you know, we there's so much that we do to bring people together. And we've mirrored lots of those online, but it's not quite the same. There's, there's there really is no you know there's no substitute for physically getting a load of people people together you know and we do lots of things we we probably went through a lot of the similar things lots of people did we had the regular quiz online quizzes and uh, and had like the you know we kept like the friday after, after work drinking sessions go going people doing it at the desk with a glass of wine it's not quite the same <laughs> so uh, you know so we tried our best but no definitely and in truth everyone is looking forward to to, to getting back but I'd say we've, we've permanently changed now. We, we're not going to go back to the office in the same way that we had for everybody in full time. The future is definitely going to be this hybrid now. And that's what we're exploring. What does this hybrid working now, now look like for, for those that want to be 
together in the office and find the right reasons for them to come back and work in the office. They can do that, but those that work at home aren't excluded. So, so that's kind of our, our, our thing that we're, we're kind of really looking at right now. And what's the role? Can we get some good tech that makes that really seamless and a bit smoother without it kind of being, uh, being kind of messy and, uh, and, and being, yeah, being a, a worse experience if you're not physically there. So, so that, that's the next challenge, I think. Yeah, it's interesting that, isn't it? I, I, I miss bumping into you on the train, John, and you getting a couple of out and, and <laughs> all too often. It was weird. I know we live near each other, so it's, you know, not that weird, but like it, sometimes it was 4.30 or sometimes, we, you know, there was more than one train that goes through Bramhall, isn't there? I mean, well, and I, there's, not, there's not actually not more than one train, but <laughs> I was laughing to myself because the first time that I've, I've obviously bumped onto John on the train a load of time, but the first Friday, this particular Friday, I bumped into like he was he was drinking like this thing that I just thought was like one of the new modern like pop drinks. He was like, "Do you want a beer?" I was like, <laughs> "What?" He's like, "Have one of these." <laughs> like, Brilliant, you know. I don't what were they called, John? I can't remember. They just looked like a young person's drink, and it was a beer. Yeah. And I'm going like, to pronounce it Beaverton, but it's Beavertown. <laughs> <laughs> Gamma Ray or something like that. You know, cool beers where, as, uh, as somebody pointed out, they can charge like three quid fifty for something that would be one quid fifty if it didn't have a fancy label on it. So yeah, yeah. has a cool can, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, very cool cans. Yeah, very cool can. Um, so I guess what else has shifted for you? Like, are you, are you still doing the same kind of work, the digital work that you've always done? Or are you... You know, are you looking to move into like a more consultative role? What's what's changing now? Yeah, well, well, that's definitely that's a big shift for us actually. If I think what's been another change over the twenty years, it, it used to be that very few businesses had in-house kind of digital and tech teams, or you know, or if they did, they used to be kind of more more IT. Uh, and that's the thing that we've probably seen in the last, particularly say the last 10 or 15 years, has been a massive rise uh, on the, the growth of kind of in-house product teams. Um, and in fact, if anything, I'd say, you know, people often ask them, so who, who's like your competition? And so, so it, the majority of the time that our competition now is actually is businesses taking stuff in-house or, you know, or, or instead deciding to like grow an in-house team. You know, that's that's the more common scenario, to be honest. So what it's made us think about is, OK, so us as a uh, as a kind of agency and what we try to do, in fact, we don't we kind of don't refer to ourselves as an agency anymore. We try to more be like a consultative partner, really. And so definitely our role has been. Uh, it's been helping those businesses that need it with, you know, with UX design and engineering, or we kind of help augment the skills and the team that they've got. And so we can actually either fill some of those kind of maker roles around the edges, or we can help consult and help their teams. And we do more things like coaching and training and, and that type of stuff nowadays as well. So that's been a, a growing area for us. It's been one of those things that we've naturally always done over the years, but we definitely, as we've kind of seen, I suppose, the industry change, we've seen, okay, well, gets us to hypothesize what's the future role of a business like us. And it's probably it's not necessarily doing everything for a business now by ourselves. It's actually supporting them helping them with their journey and kind of augmenting the capabilities that they've got and uh, yeah and being a kind of a, a trusted partner or consultant uh, in, in the mix within within their team really so that that's kind of where where we are now and where we see it carrying on to go really um, and did you I mean just to come back to recruitment again or probably for the first time but how did you find that during COVID like you were talking about the team adjusting to 
the changes of remote working, but how did you and the hiring managers adjust to recruitment? I presume you had to continue to recruit, did you, during the, the last 12, 18 months? Yeah, so we have. Yeah, I think, in tr- again, in truth, we've just carried on as normal and just the things where, you know, our, our recruitment processes, I think, were quite tight. We were quite clear on things like our the way that we'd interview, the people we'd bring in, some of the assessments and stuff that we would do. So we've kind of carried on doing doing all that in, in the same way, to be honest. Again, just, just done that remotely. I do feel it's... Uh, when, when we've then hired people and onboarded people, it, I, I kind of feel it's a bit of a shame they don't get like the full company experience when they're starting. It's a bit, it, it's odd, but you know, there's been so many of them now that, that have, you know, started in, in lockdown. So it's probably just becoming, uh, just becoming the, becoming the norm now. But uh, yeah, but other than that, you know, again, we, we had quite rigorous r- routines around onboarding, kind of one-to-ones with all different people that look after a specialism and a discipline and, something like the buddying system and, and all the good stuff we do and all the various inductions. So we've kind of carried all, all that on. The daily and weekly reflection sessions that have with kind of the hiring manager and people. So, yeah, so just keeping those same connections, but doing it remotely. Yeah, to be honest, it's kind of car- carried on uh, carried on as was. So what are those processes like then, if you don't mind sort of revealing a bit around, you know, what you look for in a candidate and what, Someone, uh, someone who's listening to this would go, well, what, how, how do I know I'm a, a, a code computer love candidate individual? What do you, what do you call yourselves? Do you have a, a mnemonic yeah, for? We call ourselves computer lovers. Computer lovers. Okay. So what, what, is a, what does a perfect computer lover look like? So, yeah, so the, the base is that they've got to be good at their, their core skill and discipline, or, or if it's a... Um, yeah, kind of an entry level, a foundation role. Then, uh, then we've got to see that they've got, uh, they've got. You know, we, we can kind of see the potential growth there. So it's not, we're not always recruiting. You know, it depends on the level of seniority recruiting. But the the things though that underpin that that are really important for us, because you can tell our team model is crucial and and working with the teams, and and it really is a, it's a very very collaborative kind of multidisciplinary team that delivers and develops all the stuff that that, that we make. So we really do look at things like a lot of those interpersonal skills, kind of how they collaborate with others, trying to see examples of that. Because we work with agile kind of methodologies and practices, some experience of that, again, if they're senior and being out and, uh, and showing, yeah, showing just sort of good grounding in that, that's hugely important because that's kind of how we think and operate. And it's more than actually just the ways of working. It kind of it influences the way, that, um, the way that things are built and developed. So having that attitude is really important. And then the other one is because... The, I suppose that the it's not necessarily a new dimension, but f- from what we've kind of had baked into us for so long, we're constantly changing. Definitely that that willingness to learn and adapt and try new things. You know, we we have to constantly adapt. Things things like COVID last year meant meant that we had to really pivot. So people that are kind of up for that kind of challenge and not not too stuck on on what they do and the way they do it, and up for kind of. Uh, growing their own skills and learning and sharing that with with kind of other people as well we've got quite a strong culture of uh, of kind of uh, sharing and learning going on lots of stuff that we do so so those things so beyond like the skills and capabilities yeah de- definitely having that kind of attitude to kind of learning and adapting and and being really ready to work work well with people we we stole a phrase from netflix that that is really apt we we don't tolerate brilliant jerks yeah because we've seen firsthand you can have people that are amazing at what they do but if they alienate the team they work with it <laughs> causes many many more problems in the long run it's not it's not worth the hassle of kind of keeping them in the company 
Um, and, and, and on that note, I'm going to uh, make it a little bit lighthearted in a minute. But on that note, coming back to the fact that you've been in Manchester for so many years and you've been in business for so many years, how do you think the landscape of recruitment has changed? I mean, you know, 20 years ago, there probably wouldn't have been anywhere near as many people doing tech jobs as what there is nowadays. However, the competition is so much bigger now. How how's that changed? Do you, do you think, again, is it changed massively or is it just different? in acquiring the right talent do you know what it's probably i think i think you've summed it up zach i think it's probably stayed about the same but but what's changed is yeah the what they didn't used to be that that much talent 20 years ago uh because it was a you know it was in it was a new area and now there's definitely more talent but there's infinitely more competition you know there's there's so many options available uh, for people now that's the thing you know there's there's, you know, there's startups happening all the time. There's, uh, there's massive, massive organizations that are moving headquarters and new digital operations and all sorts up here. So there's just, depending on what your bag is and what type of environment that you like, you've got plenty of choice from, you know, you, you could be employee number three in, on a, in a two-man band or, or, a, or a tech startup where, you know, you might, you might be their, their first, first employee to, uh, to yeah, be, go, going in and kind of helping out. out. Amazon or or the BBC or, or the co-op or whoever on kind of their plans for global domination yeah you know you, you you've got a full spectrum of, of opportunities available really so, brilliant um right so I'm going to make it a little bit light-hearted so I'm going to tell you a well-known fact John so Louis is in the Guinness Book of Records no I way leave <laughs> no way I'll let Louis share that one with Ooh. us Come on. I am. Well, I'm in the 2020 book. So if you find the 2020 physical book, I've actually got a double page spread. (laughs) Uh, And I'm I'm the world. Well, I was the world record holder. I'll tell you about that in a sec for the largest collection of Transformers memorabilia. So, wow. uh, Yeah. Wow. It's it's mostly toys, Transformers toys. Uh, So I was a I was a Transformers fan when I was a kid. Uh, but I didn't used to collect them then. Uh, and it was only when I had my son and he was about three. He's now, he's 13 now. When he was about three, I did one of those things that all dads probably do. It's like, oh, what should I get my child into? And I yeah. thought, well, I love Transformers. Let's see what's happening in the world of Transformers. So, so I bought a few for him. Then I bought a few for me for nostalgia. Yeah. And then the buying a few for me kept, <laughs> kept going and going. Snowballed. And it got, <laughs> and it got Snowballed. out of hand. <laughs> that's incredible well, snowball yeah. turns into an avalanche and uh, just thinking while you were saying it like you're no longer the record holder like you sold your whole collection to a guy who had two transformers <laughs> so like he's now the world record holder but obviously that's not what happened someone overtook you it's what i should have done actually yeah I should have offered it on ebay buy a ready-made world record <laughs> <laughs> wow that's actually that's pretty smart you should have done yeah. that <laughs> you know what i actually only look just by chance um because I, well, I had a look in the recent book that came out, the 2021 edition came out in September and, and nobody was in that. So I thought, oh, I'm still, I'm still the reigning world record holder. But then by chance, I just looked on the Guinness website a few weeks ago and I noticed that there's a new guy in America. He's picked me to it. So he's now the new world record holder. Wow. But, is, it, is, it based on, is it based on number of pieces or by volume? Like, do you weigh them? Is it no, like is it tilting the floorboard somewhere? <laughs> I just, I can't, how much stuff have you got? <laughs> oh, I've got. It's based on uh, 
ind unique individual items. Okay, yeah. makes so sense. So I, so I had, to be honest, I didn't have that many. I had 2,111. So, so it's quite a lot, but it's not not ridiculous. The new world record holder's got about 3,000. So he's, so he's, beat, he's beat me by, by an amount. Well, I don't know if you can see, it takes up a lot of room. See all, all these cardboard boxes. <laughs> <laughs> I had about five times that amount of cardboard boxes. I've been slowly selling them and clearing them out because it literally it's taken up the whole house. <laughs> Brilliant. So, I to, sorry. I said, uh, I used to store them in the office. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember. I remember because I've not seen you for all those years. And when I came to the office, that whole back section, you, I'm sure you were about to have somebody come in and take a picture and count it at that time, which must have been about two, three years ago now. It you sort of forget we've lost a year, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so, right. So I'm going to ask you a couple of other facts. And uh, please, please give me what comes to your brain because you can overthink this one. So right. what's your favourite Manchester band? Oh, without a doubt, Stone Roses. Stone Roses. Yeah. Interesting. That's the third person that said that, John. Okay, um, keeping tally going, by the way. Anissa, <laughs> you're going to get, get get tally up for this question. Okay, keep going. Uh, what's your favourite Manchester pub or bar? Oh, uh, that is a good question. You know what? Because it's been that long since I've been to one. <laughs> <laughs> what's about you? I'm trying to where I used to go. Do you know what I used to love? Because it was uh, it was really random, and I've and I've had so many great nights there. Well, two places actually. Uh, one one that's naff and random. What's that tiki bar in the northern quarter off, on the yeah, corner yeah. where you go down the stairs? I think I forgot, I forgot the name. Is it Mahiki or Rosie's? I forgot. There's roses in the in. Oh, it's next to that. It's next to that. I forgot what it's called now. So someone will know it. But the other one, which was really cool, was my, definitely my favourite place. Was Mojo's. I used to go to Mojo's a lot. Right. Yeah. 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 In, I think. Uh, I think washroom. Just because it was so cool. You've been to the washroom. Washroom is good. Yeah. I've been yeah. Secret the secret cocktail bar. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It did have a nice. Although I had the world's most revolting cocktail in there. Um, and it sounded revolting, but I thought, well, I bet it won't be revolting, so I'll I'll, I'll order it. And it was a um, a blue cheese cocktail, and it had cheese in it, and it it was as rank as it sounded. It Eleven quid, so I drank it. <laughs> What's that bar that we used to go to, Denise? So I I really like the one that was uh, behind. Um, King Street on the other side of King Street, you know where Chops is. There's the back street there. We used to go downhill. I just I can't remember what it was called. That was always quite dead quiet. Really, really quiet in town. Just a really, we, really nice. Bill. Can we get a whole separate Northwest of I pub edition? And <laughs> yeah. Just talk yeah. about pubs and bars. I think we should do that. A separate spin-off episode. Yeah. And my final fat Louis that I want to know is what's your favorite Manchester restaurant? Restaurant. Ooh. Uh, you can do surrounding areas as well. That's not a problem. Yeah, well, do you know where I go to a lot? Because I, I live in Altrincham. Uh, I go to a place called Yara that's like Lebanese, and it, it's, it's just gorgeous. It's just because it's very similar to Greek, which, which you know, which naturally I've brought up, up on and, and I love. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so I, I probably go there quite quite a lot. But then I, I do quite like a Japanese as well. Uh, I've not been to one in, in Manchester for a while, but... Uh, but yeah, I'd, I'd go with Yara because it's it's probably the place that I you know I'd go almost every every week or every other week to be honest. Yeah, it's so funny. I'm exactly the same. I think it's because we were brought up on that type of food. It's like I walk in there, they know me by name. My table's always assigned to me, or oh, it was. 
Um, there's a place, it, we used to be Yara in Cheadle. Now there's one called Sharm in the village. Oh, I, you know, I send everyone there. Everyone thinks I've got shares in it and stuff like that because I eat there that regularly. But it's really funny as well because coming from the background that we come from, they call certain things different to ourselves. So Kibby is good best tours, isn't it? Yeah. So like I walk in and sometimes I'm like, Right, can I have, um, can I have some hummus? Can I have some halloumi? Can I have some gubes? And No, sorry, kibbe. <laughs> so, in fact, just as a little bit of a plug for them, there's actually a place called Suvlaki Express that's opened up in Altrincham. I don't know if you've heard about it. I've been there, yeah. Have you? It was great, yeah, really good. Good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It is, yeah. I was going to say, I think we're probably nearly out of time, but what I do want to ask, uh, I want to ask a question. You see the ROMs? right the, the web and now let's say consultancy what's what's on the what 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 are people turning their nose up at now but you thinking actually do you know what five years from now or even or sooner uh we need to be on this uh like crazy this is where code will be will be focusing have you got any predictions do you know what i've stopped giving these predictions because every time <laughs> i have they <laughs> <laughs> They've, ne- they've never really worked. It's it, it's become a bit unpredictable, I think. Yeah. Um, there's definitely, you know, there's things that you think are going to carry on. I think um, stuff stuff like voice, you know, is becoming pretty set. And uh, it, but but equally, you know, there was predictions whether you know that's going to take over, and uh, you know, and there'd be like screenless UI is going to be, you know, no one's going to want to do stuff. But I can't see. I can't see screen-based stuff, so mobile or, or computer yeah. or wherever going away. The, the definite, I could probably see there might be more stuff. Maybe the TV, you kind of your TV might have even more of a role. Perhaps we'll, we'll we'll see. You know, I suppose if there's kind of more innovations around in-home tech beyond kind of your your laptop, maybe there could be more stuff there. But I don't know. It's always always hard hard to gauge. Stuff yeah. kind of comes in and out of favor. You know, Google make a massive thing like with. What was it? What was that VR uh, Google glasses and stuff? And then it goes goes nowhere. So I, I don't know. Yeah, the whole wearables thing I didn't think was going to be massive, but but anything that kind of makes life easier uh, that that might, might just kind of stick really, or or if people find some of the killer applications for it. But yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to abstain from making a prediction because it's no doubt be wrong. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's fair. You can't be raked over the coals for uh, for not making a prediction. That's going to be. Although I do think we haven't really seen the full extent of what AI can do. And, you know, you mentioned voice, obviously natural language processing is all AI anyway. And, you know, that whilst if the, if voice recognition was going to be huge, I mean, it's big, but it's not huge. People would be doing it professionally. Like people wouldn't type and that hasn't happened. Like people prefer it because you know, otherwise you're shouting at your computer all the time. So I don't think the, People are going to use it the way they use it today. They're going to say, "Order me an Uber or whatever." Hopefully, God, hopefully, just not order an Uber. <laughs> cancel, 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 cancel the Uber. <laughs> well, um, yeah. it's it's unusual. I never do this either, so I thought I'd do it for a bit of a change, John. So I'm going to wrap up the show. I'd like to thank you, Louis, for coming on the show. We've we've had a really good time and a really good laugh. It's been really fun. So thank you for finding the time for us today. John, thanks as ever for, for, for your contribution. So everybody, we'll be back with another show quite soon. Please do make sure that you um, get in touch with us if you want to find any, any more topics or you want us to talk about anything else on the show. And other than that, thanks very much for your time. Thanks.